I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. He said war was too important to be left to the generals. He said that 50 years ago, he might have been right. But today, war is too important to be left to the politicians. They have neither the time, the training, nor the inclination for strategic thought. I can no longer sit back and allow communist infiltration, communist indoctrination, communist subversion, and the international communist conspiracy to sap and purify all of our precious bodily fluids. Hello and welcome to Film Church Radio. Um, this is the podcast that treats cinema as a religion. It's Sunday. I'm Lewis. And I'm Brandon. And we are here to talk about movies. Each week, Brandon and I alternate picking a film for us both to watch and discuss. This week, however, we are continuing our 2023 director retrospective on Stanley Kubrick. Um, we are currently watching chronologically the films of Kubrick and discussing them in detail each week. Um, this week, we are discussing Dr. Strangelove, or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb, from 1964, starring Peter Sellers, George C. Scott, Sterling Hayden, and an early appearance from James Earl Jones. This film, for me, and I'm going to talk about this metaphor a lot, is the end of a certain period in Kubrick's career. Um, we'll get into it in great detail, um, I'm sure, in just a little bit, but it does feel like like the curtains coming down on our early molding of this director. Yeah. Um, before we get into the movies, though, we would like to say thank you to everyone who has been listening to the podcast and sending their love for the show. Um, if you're new to the show and have just joined us to take part in this Kubrick retrospective, welcome. Thank you for being here. And um, We have all of our back episodes streaming um, on all good podcast platforms, so you can go back and listen to us talk about other films, not just Kubrick films, um, and kind of see how the film works on a regular basis. Um, if you really like the show, you can share it with your friends um, and leave us a rating and review on wherever you listen. Um, helps new people join the congregation and really get into the spirit of what we're trying to do. Um, we also have um, episodes on our YouTube channel where when we have a guest appearing on the show, we like to record those sessions um, and put them up so that you can see our lovely faces while we talk about movies. So go ahead and go and check those out as well. Before we discuss Dr. Strangelove, I'm going to hand it over to my good friend Brandon, and we are going to talk about the films that we've watched other than this. Um, this is what we call the trailers section, um, just a preamble before we get to the main feature. So Brandon, what have you been watching? So I've been watching a couple of things, and just in case you're listening to this 100,000 years in the future or 100,000 years in the past, it is the year 2022. <laughs> Um, no, it's not. <laughs> it's 2023. <laughs> Oops. Uh, <laughs> I looked at the movie. It says 2022. But I thought this movie came out in 2023. But I guess it's been out a little bit. 
could have sworn it just came out. Yeah, because last time I went into the office, I go into the office once a month. Someone that I worked with had just been to the cinema to see it. And that yeah, was it's end of January. In, it's still in cinema. I went I saw it two nights ago. Um But But yeah, Letterboxd says twenty twenty two, so Avatar's been out for ten weeks. I doubt that the I mean, I haven't heard your review, but I doubt it's got the legs of Avatar. That came out yeah, just before. Right, to keep, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, people like this movie. It's yeah. a good movie. Uh, but I went and saw M3 Gan. <laughs> <laughs> A.K.A. Megan. I tried to search for Megan on IMDb, and this movie would not come up. I had to type in M3, M3 Gan. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it's. I gave it four out of five. It was. Uh, it's a really fun watch. It's like you know, it's kind of. It's a PG-13 horror movie, and yeah. so, like, those kind of horror movies, I feel like, are more horror-themed movies. Like, you know, it's kind of uh, something kids can still watch. Yeah. Um, but it's a lot of... That That doesn't... Don't let that deter you if you're a horror movie fan. It's a it's a great movie. It's very well-written. It's a lot of fun. They're making a sequel because it's doing so well. Um, I think it's it's worth watching. It was, it was good to go see it in cinemas and get back out and, you know, go go do something yeah so. i'm jealous <laughs> yeah it you know yeah i mean i actually haven't been to the movies in a while i'm trying to think of what i saw before that i guess it was the whale yeah but um yeah few and far in between right now yeah maybe like once a month is when i'm going right now but i would like to go i think my ideal theater experience would maybe be like two times a week yeah catch the new releases and then anything that you've missed yeah 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 that would be that would be nice and just go see anything just Uh, everything yeah that is heaven to me i do feel that there is a definite divide between films that i want to go and see and where they're playing and easily accessible films to see yeah um I'm a big fan of the Angelica. I know that the you know throughout the US, but they show kind of every film that I'm like, I really want to see that. That is yeah. an AMC. Um mm-hmm. but yeah, it would be great to go and see everything. <laughs> yeah, it would be so. So amazing. Um the other movie I watched was uh David Lynch's Blue Velvet. Yeah. Um which I've seen a couple of David Lynch movies. This is one that I saw uh, for the first time last night, and uh, I, you know, he's somebody I've been wanting to, you know, dive into all of his filmography, and yeah, it was funny because I was just kind of looking around, uh, like I've got a list on my phone of all the uh, directors and and uh, actors that I want to like watch all their filmography. So I was kind of going through to seeing like what's out there streaming right now for free that I could watch. Well, not for free, but you know, yeah. on the subscription services I have. And um, ended up deciding to watch Blue Velvet, and uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, I mean, with David Lynch, he's always going to be a little um, cerebral, I guess, and yeah, uh, dark sometimes, or a lot of the times, um. And I had to watch like three different video essays after I saw the movie. Like, what was that about? Yeah. Um, yeah. 
because you know I like movies with lots of layers that kind of are um, you know saying a lot without saying anything. If that makes yeah. sense, like movies that there's a lot of subtext i guess yeah i enjoy that but i i still want the movie to work uh just for people who aren't catching all the subtext i guess you know what i mean yeah um and maybe this movie will grow on me over time i gave it three and a half out of five mm. i mean it was i mean it kept me interested yeah but uh ultimately just kind of was like kind of just left you with a weird sick feeling which is probably the intent mm. um yeah I, I you've seen the movie what do you think i have yeah i think lynch is similar to cronenberg for me in terms of there's there's you know a film or two in their filmography that i absolutely love yeah you know, i think it's absolutely incredible but i do have a hard time really getting into them Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that I probably felt the same way as you on Blue Velvet. Just, you know, I, I could appreciate the performances and, and, and what I was seeing, you know, but I still felt a bit underwhelmed by it. Yeah. Um, which is, I mean, like I said, it's not not everything's going to work for everybody. Um, I gave it the same as you. I gave it three and a half. So I yeah. think that, but a lot of people do love it. And I think that maybe I need to go back and not, not care about the story, you know, just look for something different. Cause I'm such a, a fan of narrative that it's hard mm-hmm. not to care about narrative. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, and I like Dennis Hopper, like he's a, he's a, an amazing actor, Yeah, but him in this movie was just so much. I'm sure there's um, an interview with him where he says that he was pretty much just playing himself. Ugh. I know. Yeah. <laughs> so, um Dennis Hopper is an incredibly interesting pe- person to like to research. He is just the most insane man. Yeah. From the start. Uh, yeah. Well, what you see is what you get. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um Yeah, uh I mean, it's it's definitely not turned me off to David, <clears throat> David Lynch. I like he's such yeah. an interesting filmmaker. Um Yeah, I'm excited to to watch i mean I have, there's so many of his movies i haven't seen but what i have seen is uh eraser head is freaking amazing yeah. it's yeah. so good um and uh i'm blanking on the elephant man is my favorite Lynch i haven't film. seen that yeah so good um i've seen lost highway a long time ago and it freaked yeah. me out and i want to rewatch it to see what i think about it now yeah but um yeah so that's kind of it for me. Yeah. What about you? Well, I stumbled across a challenge. And you know me, Brandon. I'm never one to back down from a challenge. Um, and this was something that I'd seen, like, mentioned a few times on Twitter and never really, like, followed up on it. Um, yeah. But it's called the Criterion Challenge 2023. Um, I I, uh, I did some digging. And basically what happens is there's a... Um, a letterbox user called Ben, who I've tagged in the list that I've made on Letterbox. If you want to go and check this out, um, there's a link right there for you. And basically, he's gone through, and he's there's 52 categories, um, one for each week of the year, and he's chosen a different, um, or they've chosen a different kind of 
theme for each week. So what you do is you go through each week and pick a film that's in the Criterion collection that you haven't seen for each week. And then you've got a 52 films to watch throughout the year. Yeah. Did that make sense? Yeah, yeah, I think so. (laughs) So I went through and made this list and got very excited about it. I love especially like Criterion and having a challenge to complete. So you make the list yourself? Yeah. So they give you basic themes to base it around and there's like links to where to find it, but you pick the film. Okay. So all the films that you picked, you haven't seen. That's right. Okay. Yeah. So I haven't, I I hadn't seen any of them. Um, And how I did it was part of them were films that I'd already bought on Criterion that I hadn't watched yet as an effort just to get them off the shelf. Um, And others were films that um, may have been including like sight and sounds top, 100 films ever list that came out last year um it was just like a mixture of everything things that i really wanted to take off the to watch list um so i made this list and then i started um and i watched um black narcissus um the magnificent ambersons and uh le corbure which is the raven um and yeah, it is. I'm having such a good time with it. So nice. black, so black narcissus from 1947, a Powell and Pressburger film. Who Scorsese absolutely loves Powell and Pressburger, um, and this was um, for the category faith on film. So this was the first one I watched, and you know me, Brandon, I'm a sucker <laughs> for people questioning their religion on film. Yeah, um, and this is a group of nuns that get sent to kind of create a. Uh, nunnery in a deserted mountain in tibet um okay it is the most visually stunning film i think i've ever seen wow um and it's you know questioning faith and and um what it is to be a a woman and isolation and all the good stuff that rolls into (laughs) making an incredible film um i could not stop thinking about this movie i shared stills of it on my like facebook instagram i was just like this film looks amazing. Um, I gave it five out of five. Nice. Um, I am probably going to go back and watch it very soon again. Yeah. Because I just loved it. I loved yeah. every minute. Um, and then, yeah. the, then I watched Magnificent Ambersons, um, which was Dysfunctional Families. That was the category. Um, okay. Orson Welles' follow-up to Citizen Kane that he made and then got absolutely butchered by the studio and released in like a edited-down version. Um and it is good, uh, but you just get the feeling of what it could have been. Yeah, you can just you can just tell that like huge portions of it are missing. You know, mm. we meet. It's kind of like the downfall of this um, really well-off family, and we spend a lot of time getting to like meet them all and kind of learn them. And then all of a sudden, it kind of like fast forwards, and it's just like main things because it's over yeah. in like eighty-nine minutes. Okay. Um, and yeah, it's a real shame that we couldn't see the full completed version because they just got rid of the negatives. So we'll probably yeah. never see it. Um, but I mean, Orson Welles is just a beautifully visual storyteller. Yeah. You know, um, and again, it had been one of my to watch list that I'd really wanted to see. So glad I ticked that yeah. off. And then the Raven, um, the category for that is pretty simple. 1940s. Um, and that was 
it's a French film by a director that I discovered a few years ago, Henry Georges Clouseau, um, about a small town, um, and these poison pen letters get sent out to the to the members of the town, basically saying, "I know all the bad stuff that you're doing." Um, made during the Nazi occupation of France, it's a French film, um, and pretty much disregarded at the time because there's no likable character in it. Yeah. And it's just a a really harsh look at, you know, civilization, I guess. Um, yeah. Again, I really I did really like it. I gave it three and a half. Um it was very interesting. I think that in terms of what I'd seen, it wasn't as inventive as the last two. But that was like, you know, it's hard to hold it against something else. You've got to watch it on its own merit. Um but I still I still enjoyed it. I like Clouseau yeah. a lot, so sweet. Yeah. I recommend everybody, if you are a fan of Criterion and you are on Letterboxd, to ha- you know, just have a go at the list. At least kind of go through and see what your list would look like. You know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Cause I was like, the first category is kind of just a random number generator. So whatever number you get on this random number generator, that's the spine number that you watch. Mm. Um so I was like, I'm just going to see what it throws me. You know, I've seen a few. And it was the one Chaplin film I haven't seen. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I'm doing this. This is a sign. Nice. I've got to do it. So yeah. I'll be talking about this a lot probably in the coming weeks. So does it does the uh, the the generator, is it built into Letterboxd or it's on a different site? Just Google, yeah. So, um, so what I did was you enter, it goes from one to the spine number. So like 1100, I think they're on at the moment. And then on Google, I just like random number generator and it was just like 600 and whatever. Oh, okay. So it, it, yeah. So it wasn't like it was built into the algorithm of Letterboxd and knew that you hadn't seen that. No, but the the handy thing is most of the categories have got like how hyperlinked. So the second category is made in Belgium. And if you hit that, it takes you to the criterion page for all the films that are from Belgium in the collection. Sweet. So it's pretty easy to kind of put together. Yeah. Nice. That sounds yeah. fun. I'm going to do that. Yeah. It. I mean, then, it just kind of adds a little bit of spice to your film watching. Yeah. You know. Add some spice to your film life. That's it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and there was a lot that I could have picked. It was hard to narrow it down. Um, yeah. But I know that the guy who came up with it did it um, like the last few years. So I'm hoping this would be an ongoing tradition. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, um, but apart from those, the other film that we've been watching is our feature presentation. Doctor Strange Love, or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb, from 1964. The tagline is The Hotline Suspense Comedy, and the letterbox summary is After the insane General Jack D. Ripper initiates a nuclear strike on the Soviet Union, a war room full of politicians, generals, and a Russian diplomat or frantically try to stop the nuclear strike. This is a film that Brandon and I have both watched, and the reason I know that we've both watched it is because we did a couple of trial episodes before going live, and this was one of the episodes that, one of the films that we talked about in one of those episodes. Yeah. Um, but it has been... Nearly two years, I guess. Yeah. Since we kind of 
did that so a lot has changed since then and i yes. feel like a different understanding of kubrick as well mm-hmm, um, for sure. and so this is not just the second time you've seen it Brandon. you've seen this a few times correct yeah i've seen this lots of times this is i mean somewhere between the rage of the rage between the range of uh five and ten times somewhere wow. in there i guess you hate it then yeah it sucks <laughs> <laughs> um nah this movie is great man like this yeah. like i like i love i love actors like mm-hmm. act like i'll watch a bad movie if the actors are great you yeah. know like actors can can make a bad movie good I mean, and this is not a bad movie. This is a good movie with good actors. I love, I love actors that are like shapeshifters. They can just like play different characters and change their costume so yeah. much that they just seem like completely different people. And so, like Peter Sellers just playing three different characters is freaking amazing. Like this is incredible, yeah. incredible. Um, but surprisingly. Um, even though Peter Sellers is clearly stealing the show, it's like George C. Scott and Sterling Hayden and Slim Pickens, <laughs> like they're they hold up, you know. Yeah. They their characters are so good that they stand toe to toe with um Peter Sellers throughout this whole movie and are just as good characters. Yeah, agreed. It, the the cast of characters really remind me of Looney Tunes in that they are <laughs> kind of such a caricature of the people that they're portraying yeah. that it just kind of fits in. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's such a cartoony way to present these characters. Um, well, even to the point where George C. Scott is like, he, what's that movie? The Rescuers Down Under, yeah. <laughs> where he plays the, he plays like the villain, but also like the, Yeah, like his, his he, he like he is the same character as a cartoon in that movie yeah. that he yeah. is in this. Exactly. Like even to, yeah. to even to the dramatic like like when he's like holding like when the president's on the phone <laughs> and he's like holding his head <laughs> hand on his head yeah. and he just like every time it cuts back to him like the like his his veins on his neck are sticking out more and more and he's just like <laughs> sinking more and more and his eyes are opening wider and wider. Um yeah it's just it's just comedy gold yeah it is and i think that you know obviously peter sellers is incredible throughout the film um i don't think there's one character that like doesn't like he doesn't have a great time playing you know yeah. mm-hmm. um which i know he was apprehensive about like playing three characters um because alec guinness had done it before in kind hearts and coronets and he was a bit worried that he would be like um not as good yeah and compared in like reviews and stuff like is can he do it as well um but i think yeah he's just like he's such a chameleon he can just like morph into these different characters yeah yeah um so how do you feel about that i mean i like you know you saw this movie for the first time two years ago yeah um for like you said for our test episode of Film Church Radio that we'll uh, maybe put out there one day for yeah. for folks to see, but um, I think you I think I remember you liking it. Yeah. Um, 
but how is it how like what's it like going back and rewatching it um with fresh eyes again and and yeah and just like it seems like this movie like the more years that go by the less um i don't know it's still funny but it's also just like it's a little close to home yeah yeah exactly (laughs) i think the first time i watched it um i was aware of like the big moments in the film like i'd heard i'd heard the gentleman you can't find here this is the war room line Um, i'd seen parodies of the of riding the bomb you know all that kind of stuff so it was kind of like okay when are these things going to show up you know is it going to be like as iconic as pop culture has made it um and then the second time because i had obviously seen it and i knew what was coming i could just like sink into it a lot more um and i did find it a like it is hilarious i think that i really like captain mandrake this time i can't i can't remember much of the scenes between mandrake and um ripper before yeah um, but they're my favorite scenes now yeah yeah you know the the locked in the <laughs> office just the conversations that they're having um and just like trying to get out of this situation yeah it's like, the the string in my leg is gone <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> the string <laughs> um but yeah i mean it it does improve overwatches and i can't imagine what it was like seeing it in 64 with not yeah. having any kind of idea of what was coming i think this time especially because we're watching it chronologically i can see that development from kubrick i can see his um eye for the um for the shot and kind of the placement of the camera and, and what's in the shot um has just got better every single film yeah you know lolita there was big long set pieces where the camera kind of didn't move he found the shot whereas here i feel like every shot is you know he tests himself we've got the cramped confines of a plane you know we've got a single room and then we've got the wall it all takes place in rooms you yeah. know um, yeah but he still seems to make them come alive and he's i mean it's just an incredible film yeah so yeah man i mean it's funny it's like there's parts of this movie i i guess it's you know it, if you put a couple of years in between i think that's that's a good amount of time you know to forget at least a couple of the jokes yeah so that when you watch it again it's still funny um because watching it this time it's like you know there's so many like tongue in cheek things going on in, in the beginning of the like throughout the whole film i mean like the film starts with like the plane like plane sex like the plane you know refueling the other plane and then uh you know but it's like you watch that a million times you're like ha ha you know (laughs) it's like not that funny anymore uh but the 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 part that just like made me burst out laughing even though i've seen this film so many times is the part when like george c scott's on the phone and you know he's all he's wearing is boxers and he's like well I'll tell you what you do, old buddy. And he like slaps his stomach. <laughs> just like. So I don't know. I just burst it out laughing. Yeah. Um, it just gets me. <laughs> um, and what's like kind of crazy 
like just just like having gone through all the Kubrick's films up to this point, um, knowing like that his background was not acting in any way. Yeah, you know, or, or but he's he's now developed relationships with actors where he knows what he wants and he kind of understands actors well enough um, to kind of work with them and stuff and, and, and get the performances that he wants out of them. George C. Scott, like he kept, he kept uh, getting this performance out of George C. Scott. Like, like Kubrick had to keep trying to get him to be more cartoony and more eccentric. Yeah. And Scott was just, he thought his performance was terrible. You know, he, like he, he really, like when it, he said when he uh, finished the film, he thought that it was his worst performance of all time. <laughs> <laughs> because he just couldn't, he couldn't watch it from outside of himself. You know what yeah. I mean? Like from an audience perspective and, and people obviously loved him in this movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that, that's part, like part of the aspect of this movie that kind of blows my mind. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think that that yeah, the in Sellers is not an easy person to play across from, and I think that you yeah. can tell that. I think he kind of the the parts I laughed at the most were sell was especially the president reacting to news, just mm-hmm. like the kind of his wide eyed response, and then instantly kind of come back down to like a, a neutral, <laughs> you know, just those little flashes of kind of panic. Yeah. Um, which I absolutely loved, and I think that it it would have been impossible to play across from that. You needed the, you know, George C. Scott to be the character that he is against that, yeah, for it to work, mm-hmm. you know. And then obviously you've got Doctor Strange Love, who, yeah, I mean, I don't think I laugh as hard at anything as the last line where he's like, "I can walk," <laughs> it. It it just it's such the a perfect end to the film, yeah. Because <laughs> it's so bizarre and yeah. just ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, it's like <laughs> if it's it's funny that they don't even explain his character in the movie. It's like something you have to figure out on your own or like look yeah. up the yeah. fact that he's like he's an ex Nazi, which I guess they kind of explain in the movie. He's um says Heil Hitler and Fuhrer yeah he's like his yeah and then they mention his name like he changed his name when he came became a citizen or whatever um but yeah basically he's got like some kind of disease where his like arm is still a Nazi and he like has no control over it yeah (laughs) um I think there's a part where like towards the end where he is doing his full spiel and he's like clamping down on his hand trying to get it to start coming up and you can see the russian general in the back like be so close to breaking <laughs> you can just tell that he's finding it so he can't. funny i know yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> trying not to laugh um yeah that's great i'll have to look at that next time yeah and then you know of course sterling hayden is just <laughs> I mean, he's just so good in this yeah. role, man. And like, yeah. 
he's just incredible. Yeah. Like just born to play this character. I mean, that shot, that low angle shot mm-hmm. with him and the cigar and doing his monologue is just like cinema gold. Like, yeah. It's yeah. so good. And apparently he had like already retired from acting. Then he does this and The Godfather. Like, it's just wow. crazy. Yeah, what an on call. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, this is, I think, like, going back to that Looney Tunes analogy is that, like, you just have to look at Sterling Hayden and you can understand this character. I don't think they really mm-hmm. have to say much about, like, who he's been to get to this yeah. point because he just looks like a tired army veteran, you know? <laughs> yeah. There's something about his face, and I think that it's such a stroke of genius to to get him back working with Kubrick for this role. Um, I mean, it's it's great. And I think this is where at the top of the show we talked about, you know, this feels like the end of early Kubrick in a way, you know, the beginnings, because we've seen the developments throughout and this is kind of, there's a lot of people that he's working with in Strange Love that he's worked with in the past that kind of started his career. It's kind of like a big, like they're taking a bow you know, together on stage. That's how I see it. This is like their final hurrah before Kubrick, you know, goes to the next level. Yeah, because, I mean, I guess what you could, you could look at all of these films through Dr. Strangelove as kind of student films in a way. Mm. And they're, they're not student films, but they're, you know, he's working with very low budgets. Yeah. You know, apart from like, you know, uh, Spartacus, which, you know, was a director for a higher thing. But he's working with very low budgets and uh, all black and white, which yeah. is a cost um, that, you know, they shot on black and white because it's cheaper. Um, but it's like he's proven himself so many times at this point yeah, that he deserves to be on this national stage of creating this art. Yeah. Um, you know, time after time, he's gotten these opportunities to make these films with low budgets. And he, and instead of just delivering something that will make money, he creates something that no one else could ever make. Yeah. Um, and, and so after this, like, although like, I think, Dr. Strangelove is is one of his best movies. It's like after this, he like you said, he's just unleashed. It's like you yeah. get full cinemascope color. Yeah. You know, gets to Budgets. pick and choose yeah. anybody he wants to work with. Um yeah. and uh yeah, I mean and then and then keeps proving himself with every single thing he does. Um yeah, because yeah, I, I look back, um, I like to go through the archives of Sight and Sound magazine because it's been going for a heck of a long time um, and just kind of get a feel for, you know, what critically people were talking about at the time. Um, and then I think it's the, um, like maybe the winter issue of 1964. There's three separate articles about Kubrick in Sight and Sound. There's the review of Strange Love. And then there is a, like a small interview where they ask him how he gets funding 
and how he kind of sets up making a film. And then there's a full like four or five page feature called How I um, Learned to Stop Worrying and Love Kubrick. Um, uh-huh. Basically, it's just saying, you know, this is where he's come from. These are the themes that he's interested in. Like, look at him grow as a filmmaker. Yeah. And I think that it's indicative. It just shows at this time that critically people were paying attention. Mm-hmm. Audiences were going to see his films. Like, he was, he had reached that point where he was going to take that next step. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, and it's, it's pretty incredible. Like, when we've gone through each film and we've been like, yeah, this didn't really make money. It didn't, like, it didn't, it got made kind of by accident, you know. And now we're to this point pretty quickly where it's like every film he's done has been either critically or commercially successful um, and sometimes both. And there isn't a dud in the list. Yeah. You know, all of a sudden he's come from like he's trying to get these films made to I have a back catalogue of really strong films and I'm being taken seriously. Yeah. Um which is pretty incredible. Yeah, for sure. He uh he around this time I think it was Universal um but it was one of the major studios that uh tried to sign him on for a two-picture deal which he ended up declining. But um they sent him a contract and he like made he made 23 pages worth of notes <laughs> <laughs> based on the contract and one of his notes was i must have complete total final annihilating artistic control over the picture like he was yeah. a determined yeah. mf <laughs> yeah i mean but we've seen that from day 1 yeah he's exactly. i think spartacus yeah. is the kind of is the is the worst of his films because he didn't yeah. have control and he just phoned it in in terms of like his passion for the project. Yeah. Because um, as we said in that episode, which you can go and listen to, like it's still a really well-made film. There's just not any flashes of brilliance. Yeah, exactly. And, and as you were talking about that still in Hayden shot, um, that was another kind of Kubrick touch that I think we see for the first time in this film is the the off kilter and like disconcerting like angle. You know, we're not quite sure where that camera is. We like is it on the floor? Is it on his chest? Right. Yeah. Like we like, you know, is it under the you don't know. And I think that that comes in a lot, especially towards the shining, where these shots are very um are very new and things we haven't seen before. Um and are very interesting in terms of angles. Um and I like that you know, we're starting to see that here. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's he's ready to write his own checks. He's ready to do his own thing. Yeah. Um, so a few things that I, uh, notes that I made about this movie. Um, yeah. I was listening to the, to the audio book uh, from David Mick, Mickus. Mickus? I keep, <laughs> I keep questioning every time I say his name. Uh, one of the things that he said was Cooper came up with the idea of, uh, to have Major Kong ride the bomb, which is, you know, obviously a stroke of genius. Yeah. Um, and he, he like the way that uh, 
Mikus like phrases it is he's like Major Kong feels the biggest thrill thrill as wargasm to end all wargasms <laughs> um which I guess is a Herman Kahn coinage um who I think is another author um he once joked that people don't have war plans but wargasms <laughs> <laughs> and it's just like it's I mean just that idea it's like yeah it's like what are these idiots doing in this room just yeah. you know yeah. like getting giddy over like the size of their bombs i know and the fact that they've met like the production design team had never seen an atomic bomb because yeah. it was still under wrap. well the inside of the plane yeah. too because they they talked about that in the documentary they were like you know the the production designer when he, he like designed the plane and stuff and they were like um, Stanley Cooper called him. He's like, "You better have all of your resources for where yeah. you found all this information, because the FBI might call us." <laughs> How insane is that? Yeah. But I mean, if I was like, if I was in the FBI and I saw something like that with no plans released, I'd be like, "I like Kubrick was so meticulous in Paths of Glory, especially like he knew what kind of cigarettes the soldiers were smoking." Yeah. You yeah. Know? Of course he's going to have found something. But apparently it was just from, like, fan magazines. They just... It was, like, people that were obsessed with planes had written into fan magazines speculating what it would look like. And they ah, just went off that. That's crazy. So it was just, like, as close to, you know, expertise as it gets. Yeah. Um, yeah, because the military would not... Uh, <laughs> they would not um, allow... They didn't cooperate yeah. in the making of this film, I no. should say. No, <laughs> no they did not. <laughs> I think, I mean, because, yeah, I think that what, what Kubrick is really good at is is letting the the natural form of the, the film take, take place. You know, leading on from that with the fact that he didn't really get any cooperation. The, the book that it's based on is a very um, serious look at, atomic warfare and kind of yeah. what can happen. Um, and they said that as they were writing this very serious script, a lot of people were like, Americans don't want to go and see a film about atomic warfare, especially with Cold War going up. Like they're not going to yeah. want to go and see a film that where they could get obliterated. Um, yeah. And they said that when they were writing it, there were a few times where they kind of went into comedy, but they tried to keep it as serious as possible and like reframed. And then one day Kubrick was just like, I want to make it a comedy. Yeah. And again, stroke a genius because not only do Americans go and see it, but it becomes, you know, incredibly popular. And I don't know, it's like influential. I mean, it's one of the greatest comedies ever. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's got to be in the top 50 greatest comedies of all time. And it seems like such an uh, obvious choice to us now is to be like, if. If you were worried that audience didn't want to go and see it, but you still wanted to tell this story, make it a parody. It's like, yeah, of course. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But at the time, you know, to go from Lolita, which is a very serious, you know, there's some comedy elements in there, but about like obsession and um, other terrible subjects <laughs> to yeah. go into like a full on comedy about nuclear warfare where Peter Sellers is just unleashed, you know. It's such a 180. Well, it's interesting because, you know, uh, Paths of Glory, which is another war film, uh, it's very similar to this, but it is serious. Yeah. You know, and it's, it, it, it is challenging 
the same system. It's challenging the authority that governs our warfare. Yeah. You know? But I feel like this is where Kubrick has been heading for the whole time. We've talked about his macabre sense of humor nearly on every episode mm-hmm. and how he take like delights in like black humor. Um yeah. and this is just, you know, it is full of it. Yeah. You know, it's a bit more there's a there's a few more moments where it is laugh out loud funny. Um and just a bit more slapstick. Um but it is just you know, it's a ter- like it's the end of the world. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> but he's still making jokes about it. Yeah, um, which is crazy. Which is crazy. I was thinking uh, this time watching it. I mean, with the popularity of like revivals and TV shows and series and stuff. Yeah, this would be a great uh, series to make of <laughs> of these uh, generals and the president and Doctor Strange Love. Um, in the tunnels trying to rebuild the yeah. world <laughs> just have a whole series you know where they're they're just trying to repopulate yeah. the earth and 10 females to each male uh-huh exactly <laughs> doing their duty i think that that is such a i mean that's a great moment as well where they're talking about rebuilding the earth and they're all uh, they all seem pretty excited about the the prospect of it you know yeah. <laughs> it's like oh okay yeah, that that would work, especially uh, a George C. Scott's character. He's incredibly <laughs> excited about the fact that he's not going to be in one relationship moving forward. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so one of the things that I read that was pr- that I found interesting was that Peter Sellers was apparently also going to be playing Major Kong. He was going to play four characters. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, but because of how cramped the plane set was, he um, either sprained or like. He did something to his ankle. Um, so as a result, because he had to move around a lot in the scene, they decided to recast it, and that's how they came up with Slim Pickens. Which Slim Pickens is his name. It Yes, like, it is his that's name. The char- that's the real person's name. The character's yeah. name is Major Kong, but it's like, yeah. what a name. Yeah, James Earl Jones thought that he was just being in character the whole time, and then when the <laughs> film rap was like, oh, it's it's actually you. You're actually this person, yeah, <laughs> which is amazing. I mean, it's just perfectly cast, and and he didn't know that the movie was a comedy, you no. know. So apparently, all of his scenes, he was playing them straight, and you can probably, I think, you can tell. Yeah, like but it's like, how do you not know when you're riding the rock? Yeah, that's like when he's going through what they've got in their provisions, and he gets to you know, there's regular stuff like food. And like a, a phrase book in a Bible. Yeah, <laughs> and the then it's mini like, Bible. Yeah, three tubes of lipstick, a pair of pantyhose. <laughs> <laughs> Fella could have a pretty good weekend in Vegas with all that stuff. Yeah. Um, that was a line that they changed because when they were going to do the test screening, um, it was scheduled yes, for the right. day that President Kennedy ended up getting shot. And the line was that a, a fella could have a pretty good weekend in Dallas with all that stuff. And so they they changed it to Vegas. Are we going to start talking about Kubrick um, theories? Because <laughs> he theories? seemed to... Yeah, like, um, like the Apollo moon landing and stuff like that. Because <laughs> there seems to be a lot of coincidences where films come out that are like very relevant by accident for Kubrick. Uh-huh. Um, 
yeah, because this was, you know, like you said, it was supposed to be shown like around the time that Kennedy got shot. Um, so, is there a conspiracy that he had something to do with Kennedy being shot? No, I don't think there is. I think there's, <laughs> it's more along the lines of this man knew a lot more than he was letting on. Um, yeah, just these weird coincidences. You know, there's a big this. I mean, I can't wait to get to Shining because I'm going to do like a Kubrick conspiracy corner where we're going to okay. go through like all the things that the film is supposed to represent. Because yeah. I know that one of them is the Illuminati, um, mm-hmm. which is very interesting. Um, I mean, most of these claims are pretty ridiculous, but I like going through them because you know, yeah, it's fun. It is fun. Um, but yeah, I mean, it it I is feel, bizarre. Yeah. It is bizarre for sure. But I am not saying that Kubrick had anything to do with that. <laughs> I mean, was so yeah, I mean, if it was scheduled to screen that day, he was probably supposed to be there. So I guess he was in Dallas the day Kennedy was shot. Yeah. Shoot. <laughs> um, oh. <Uh-oh>. So <laughs> one of the freaking like you can't make this shit up. This is so fucking hilarious Ronald Reagan (laughs) (laughs) I know where you're going when he became president he asked to see the war room thinking that Doctor Strange was reality (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah yeah so you know, what's fu- like, well, funny and not funny about this film is like, you know, when this came out, it was like obviously hilarious and still is. Yeah. But like the ma- the um the Sterling Hayden character uh Jack D Ripper, D- Jack D Ripper is his name. Um you know, he wasn't like he was just a character. But it's like years after this movie was out, like they released documents about um, this time period and some of the generals and stuff. And and it wasn't too far off from some of the eccentric people that were running the military. And yeah. their, their crazy ideas and, um, you know, their uh, paranoia about Russia and the commies and yeah, all of that jazz. So... You know, when you dive into history, it, you know, the movie is like less of a comedy and more of a documentary. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately. And, you know, could still be a documentary based on today's day and age, too. Because yeah. it's like, you know, what's so freaking hilarious about um, Peter Sellers when he is talking with the Russian president. And trying to, you know, break the news that there, there's bombs had, you know, nu- nuclear bombs headed to bomb their country. It just reminds me of like when Trump was president, yeah. and Trump was like, "Oh, I'm just, I'm really good with people. Yeah, I'm really good with talking to people. Like he's, you know, he's a sales guy. He's a businessman. He's really good with." you know building those relationships and and whatever and like when he when when Trump uh first was elected before he he was inaugurated and he sat down with 
Barack Obama, which presidents always do, except yeah. for this last time because Trump wouldn't sit down with Biden. Um, Trump sat down with Barack Obama and he um, tried to basically um, tell him the the main thing he needed to worry about was like foreign policy yeah, and stuff. And Trump was just like, oh, I got this. Like, I know how to talk to people and be personable and, and all this stuff. And that's what this scene reminds me of because um, Peter Sellers is just like, now, Dimitri, you know yeah. we've always talked about the possibility yeah. <laughs> of the bomb. Yeah. You know, Dimitri, the hydrogen bomb. Well, let me finish, Dimitri. Like. Yeah. It just, it's that in a nutshell. Yeah. You know, and it's just like, yeah, like, cause the president, like, the presidency, it's almost a joke. It's like, it's a popularity contest. Yeah. It's like, who is the best, you know, public figure? And mm. it's like, the things you actually need to do that job are not, uh, <laughs> are not what we're voting for. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, a, yeah. It's not, <laughs> It's not something that Miss America could do. <laughs> yeah. You know. Exactly, which is what, what it become. is. Yeah. yeah. And that's no like slander to Miss America because I know that a lot of great people have come out of that <laughs> competition, but it that that whole like the empty voidness of that show and how yeah, it's just like what's your special talent? You know, mm -hmm. I, I'm yeah. you know, in a debate if, you know, whoever was debating had come out and been like I can play the banjo um, with my feet, people would be like, cool, you get my vote. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I got six toes. <laughs> <laughs> We're having an Alabama election. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, man. It's just like the, the movie just gets better and better every time you watch it. Yeah. I agree. It's, it's so amazing. Um, um and he's filming it in London again. Going back to Yeah. The the London well, he's, place. Is he living in London now? He's at this point? Not um he's kind of he's still got his apartment in New York. Um, okay. I think that for all intents and purposes he was going to make it in New York. Um mm. but then decided to make it in England just due to the cost. Um and we do have our first um on record grumbling of the English tea break <laughs> with this film. Um, oh, really? Yeah, he um, he talked to um, a reporter for Variety and said, the only thing that does bother me in Britain is the difficulty over arranging over time in a hurry and the tea breaks. <laughs> <laughs> he said, tea costs the producer a half an hour a day every shooting day, 50 minutes every morning and afternoon. And to get the crew to stay on for some overtime, which might be absolutely essential to the schedule of the production, you have to go through such a rigmarole, it is not worth the trouble. <laughs> oh my God. But I guess it was better than the problems he was dealing with in America, though. Yes. Yeah. And I think that, the, I mean, I, he had already spoken of his love for like the German crews um, that he filmed with while making Passive Glory because of just how dedicated industrial they were you know they just worked and worked and worked yeah. and i think that he was finding the same thing 
in England. You know, he he did delegate a lot of the non-creative things to people. Um, as uh, the book I'm reading says that he kind of double checks and triple checks everything, but he delegated a lot. Anything create creative, he was like he was all over it. Yeah, he would not delegate it. So I think that if he could trust, you know the the crew to do what he needed them to do, then that's it. And I think he found that in England. Yeah, yeah, that's which awesome. makes me happy. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, should I go move to England and make films? Yeah, I would. They're producing some good films at the moment. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> let's do it. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um. Anything else about this movie? Oh, you're hosting. I'm sorry. Anything else about this movie, Brennan, that you want to talk about? <laughs> well, now that you mention it, <laughs> um, it is interesting. The film actually led to changes in policy to ensure events in the film could never actually occur. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, so says IMDb. Oh. Where is <laughs> oh. your reason in IMDb? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know who's allowed to post stuff on IMDb. Who posts this stuff? Anybody, I think. I think, but I, I do know where it's coming from. I'm sure there's like that. There would be a like a failsafe. Yeah, it wouldn't just be the person that has sent it off needs to give the code. There would be like an override. I'm sure. Yeah. Well, it's like they he he kind of does the same scene in Passive Glory where the guy is like he he orders his uh generals to fire on their own men and the yeah. general is like I need this in writing. Yeah. Yeah. So that I don't get in trouble for it. Mm-hmm. Um which is why I think Passive Glory and this movie would kind of be a perfect double feature. Yeah. Um of course when we did our test episode I said uh Mr. Smith goes to Washington and this movie would be a perfect double feature, but you know, I think this film triple feature. Yeah. This just goes with anything. <laughs> it's like, it's like ice cream. That's right. It's like jeans. It, <laughs> it's comfortable. You know, it looks good. You can wear it. Wear Have you not watched like... the Bo Burnham's deleted scenes yet? No, I haven't. Bro, you got to go watch that. <laughs> Did I they, just make they, it? It's so good that they they put it on Netflix. It's it was so originally just free. Well, yeah, <laughs> it was originally just free on YouTube, and then they're like, Netflix bought it because they were, but it's still free on YouTube. They're like, we'll take it. Yeah. Anyway. Wow. Yeah. I, so, yeah. He has a whole like fake jeans commercial. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Yeah, I'll have to check it out. I mean, it's a real jeans commercial, but fake. Yeah. He's wearing real jeans. Okay, good. Yeah, they're not fake they're not jeans fake in a jeans. real commercial. Yeah. <laughs> He's not selling us fake jeans. Yeah. <laughs> uh. um, yeah, I think I think it's an end of an era. Um, yeah. You yeah, know, black and white for Coop. Yeah, I think just in terms of like how the film feels as well, we're going to start getting into the reclusive Kubrick. You know, mm-hmm. there's going to probably be less sound bites that he gave about the making of his films as we progress. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think this was the last kind of fully accessible film that he made in terms of like talking about it. Yeah. Um, but I, it is, I mean, there's, there's no shine away from the fact that the progression that we see there's there's an element of progression in every film that we've watched so far 
Yeah. You know, I feel like we, when we did the Leone series, we hit a mark when we were like, okay, this feels thematically the same as what we've seen. Yeah. You know, where was with Kubrick, there's something added all the time. Mm-hmm. And you can just see it elevating and elevating. Like the, the shots of the war room are just, you could have that framed. It's so gorgeous to look at. Yeah. Um, yeah. What a film. Amazing. Yeah. So, are we going to guess what the other person rated on Letterboxd? Are we? I mean, you already know. Yeah. I mean, mine, <laughs> I, I did update mine. Because it just had my oh, okay, cool. first watch. So yeah, I did update I've, I don't it know, man. I've, I, I hope you rated it five out of five. Maybe okay. you did. Did you? I gave it four and a half. Okay. So and, one half a star up. And I feel like the reason it's not the full five is because I'm still comparing it to other Kubrick films. I yeah. feel like when we've separated from this series and time has passed and I go back and watch it again, it's going to be a five star. Yeah, but at the moment, and this might be a spoiler for what we're about to do, but Paths of Glory is still my. It it Top. may be my all time favorite Kubrick. Yeah, you know, so I just I can't put it up there. Whereas I'm yeah. guessing you gave it five. I did, yeah. I mean, is it a masterpiece? Yeah, <laughs> it, I mean, I, I don't think there's. You another almost said political. no. I feel like. I, yeah, I don't think there's another political satire like this. Yeah. Especially at the time it was made. You know, hindsight's yeah. a great thing, and you can make jokes about things that um, that people did, you know, years ago. Um, but for a movie to yeah. still, like, be so relevant yeah. in today's world. And if... It's sad, but it's also, like, it, like it, it, it hits a core yeah. of something... Um, eternal. Yeah. And it just blows my mind that so much of this either didn't exist or they didn't have access to. Yeah. And it still is as believable and like it doesn't, you know, because the bomb, I know that it, you know, it could have been, and the plane itself, it could have been any design, you know, you got a vague idea of what a bomb would look like. But mm-hmm. it could have been like, it could have been ridiculous. It could have been a, a big round ball with like a, a fuse that you let. You know, <laughs> it could have been anything. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it still looks as believable now as it probably did then. If not, yeah. you know, more so probably then. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a masterpiece. Nice. Cool. Well, it sounds like on our Kubrick ranking you wouldn't put it above Paths of Glory. I don't think so. Yeah. Um, For me, I think that, I mean, the killing I've got a real soft spot for. And I'm going to say this every week. Um, yeah. But I think... Why a, is that spot so soft? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Maybe it's just still in Hayden's, like, hard exterior. I'm just counteracting it with a soft touch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, But I think... And this is what it comes down to for me. I think this is a better made film and a better all-round picture. Yeah. So, I mean, it would definitely go... It would go above the killing, is what I'm saying. But what? Mm. Uh, but for you, I know this is going to be... Like, this is better than Passive Glory for you, right? 
Yeah, I feel like it is, but it's also because I've been watching this movie for 20 years. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and I just saw Passive Glory. What was that? Like, yeah, a month ago. Yeah. For the first time, which Passive Glory is amazing. It is. But, um, I mean, I'm going to leave this up to you because me, <laughs> I, <laughs> I feel like, I feel, yeah, I feel like I won with putting the killing over killer's kiss. <laughs> I guess. Um, but see, in, in total point value, um, like if you're going 10 out of 10, yeah. Paths of Glory has 10 out of 10. And it does. right now, uh, Doctor Strangelove has 9.5. I just I just can't get over the shot of Paths of Glory of them going over the top and the tracking shot through the No Man's Land. Yeah. Yeah. I I just love it. Yeah. Um <laughs> this is hard to do. It is hard to do. I don't want to uh it's just arbitrary though. I mean I I yeah. would put you know, I would if you are happy, I would put this above passive glory. Yeah, it's hard to say. It's like there's so many perspectives you can look at it from. It's like what yeah. okay, if we're talking about if somebody's only gonna ever watch one Kubrick movie, should they watch Passive Glory or should they watch Doctor Strange Love? Yeah. Hmm. I mean I think just Doctor Strangelove just fits my taste. Yeah. I mean it also just I mean even though it is a it's it's still kind of, it still ends on like this the world is a dark place. Yeah. Is like kind of the ending which is the same as Paths of Glory. Yeah. But it's like it's somehow lighter. Yeah. yeah. Being a comedy, you know. Mm-hmm. Um I don't know, dude. <laughs> this is only going to get harder. And I this know. is and this is the thing for me. I just know that when Passive Glory is knocked off the top, it, it's only going down <laughs> because I know what we've got to come. Yeah, and yeah. I'm like, I don't like. <sighs> no. Yeah, I know. Yeah, but um, I mean, yeah. I, I think, think I, I think we should maybe just put Doctor Strange Love under Passive Glory just because of the point totals. <sighs> because yeah. you gave it four and a half. Because you gave Doctor Strange a four and a half. I mean, yeah. Um, yeah, I think we'll just do that. Okay. Okay, if you're sure. <laughs> so this is a huge, important decision right now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, going in. You can uh, tell how much we give a shit. <laughs> I know. Yeah. <laughs> So going in at number two, I'm not going to write the whole title because I'd be here for forever. So coming in at number two, it's Doctor Strange Love. And how it's ranked at the moment from bottom to top, seven is Fear and Desire, six is Spartacus, five is Lolita, a lot lower down than I thought it would be, yeah. four, Killer's Kiss, three, The Killing, two, Doctor Strange Love, and one, Paths of Glory. I almost like want to change my mind about Lolita. Just because Peter Sellers is so good. I know. Yeah, I mean, 
the sight and sound article that I read did make me kind of start to reconsider it as well. Yeah. Um, maybe we were overly harsh in it. I don't know. Maybe just the funk from Spartacus. Uh-huh. But uh, We can go, but we can change it later. I think, yeah. I mean... We, I mean, the I only think, where it, the only place it would go is just above Killer's Kiss, and I think we both probably had a better time with Killer's Kiss. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, this is going to get real difficult as we go along. <laughs> yeah, for real. <coughs> um, talking of which, Brandon, what are we going to be watching next week? Next week, Lewis, we're going to be watching 2001: A Space Odyssey from 1968. Never heard of it. Hope it's good. Um, <laughs> Here we uh, go. It's yeah, man, gonna be a blast. Yeah, into We're, space. If this was a Kubrick concert, he's played the slow jams. Now it's the hits. So, yeah. hold on to your butts. Here we go. <laughs> um, I think that brings us to the end of the show. <laughs> you can find this show on Twitter and Instagram at Film Church Radio, and you can follow us on individually on Letterboxd. Brendan is at Selman Scope. And I am at WalkerLewis3007 to keep up with what we've been watching. And like I said, I have got the the link to that Criterion Challenge 2023 on there if you are so inclined and want to take part. Um, You can also go back and listen to all the episodes streaming on all good podcast platforms. Um, Please leave us a rating review so we know if you liked the film. If you didn't, and if you're excited to watch 2001 A Space Odyssey with us. All that's left to say there, Brandon... Colonel, can you possibly imagine what is going to happen to you, your frame, outlook, way of life, and everything when they learn that you have obstructed a telephone call to the President of the United States? Can you imagine? Shoot it off. Shoot with a gun. That's what the bullets are for, you twit. Okay, I'm gonna get your money for you. But if you don't get the President of the United States on the phone, you know what's gonna happen to you? What? You're going to have to answer to the Coca-Cola company. Oh, and Shug, don't forget to say your prayers. (laughs) That's right. Amen. Amen. End of the world as we know it.